Right, uh, let's turn to the first bit of today's one, two, three show. Now, for our next author from this year's Hong Kong International Literary Festival, Radio 3 Anne Marie Evans talks to Les Bird, a former Marine police commander who has written a memoir called A Small Band of Men about his 20 year career in the Marine Police from the mid 1970s until the handover. Now, in the late 1980s, as the wealth in the mainland, in mainland China increased, so did the demand for luxury goods. So in the era of Taifei, the big armor-plated smuggling speedboats began. In 1990 alone, more than 660 luxury cars were stolen without trace from Hong Kong, and arms and narcotics were also being smuggled into Hong Kong. At that time, Lesbird headed the special boat unit, which was tasked for chasing and apprehending Taifei crews who would speed in and out of the Tolo Channel. In the late 1980s, as people in China became more and more wealthy as the country opened up, the supply of luxury goods, luxury cars, TVs, VCRs, that sort of thing that was in high demand in those days, were in short supply and taxation was high. The infrastructure to actually import all that sort of stuff wasn't there. So the crime syndicate saw an opportunity here to either import illegally or actually steal things in Hong Kong and, and bring them into China. And the way they decided to do that was by these huge purpose-built speedboats called Daifei's, big flyers, which they would, the factories that were uh, arranged in order to produce these, would, would churn them out, big Daifei hulls, 60 feet long, made of fiberglass. It was a moulded hull, a solid moulded hull, on which they would put five large outboard engines. Now, the hull itself would have a compartment specially designed in the back or in the stern to take something like a luxury car, a Mercedes-Benz, a large one, and with those engines on board and the cargo, either a cargo of television sets or VCRs or a car itself, they could attain speeds of about 90 miles an hour, which were incredibly fast for that age and faster than the marine police boats. So initially we were very, very surprised and unable to do anything about it unless you actually caught them in the act at the pier loading the stuff. So it evolved through the late 80s and it lasted for about four or five years. So at that time I was commanding the SPU, the Marine Police Fast Pursuit Unit. So we were tasked 100%. We were put on this job to try and stop it, which sounds very exciting, but of course it was extremely dangerous. I recall the head of the Marine Police at the time in an interview uh, with the press described the Daifei as a death machine, a military tank with the acceleration of a Ferrari. And I think that was probably quite accurate, actually. Their methods were reckless, uh, obviously. They didn't want to get arrested, and so they would use avoidance tactics to avoid us arresting them, obviously. And the daifes themselves were purpose-built not only for transporting things like a car, they also had defence mechanisms built in. For example, the coxswain where the, the driving position would be surrounded by metal sheets so that if there was gunfire exchange, they would be protected. They also reinforced the bow with a metal spike and the coxswain would use that to ram anyone and anything that got in its way. So they came prepared... So these gangs were based in Guangdong, in Shenzhen? Yes, and also in Hong Kong. So the gang would be split, whether they were two gangs working together or not, I'm not sure. But the gang in China would acquire the cargo that was on order. For example, uh, it could be 400 VCRs that 
possibly were paid for uh, and then illegally exported and illegally imported into China or it could be an order for a particular car in those days if you had the money in China you could order a, a make, a brand, even a colour and in Hong Kong they, the, the syndicate would simply go out into the streets and steal one it was very, very slick within an hour they would have stolen a car driven it to a pre-arranged loading point where a winch would be waiting for them they would slip the the winch through the windows, front windows of the car and lift it up by the roof and, and just winch it straight into the waiting daifei. So that, that in itself took about 60 seconds. And they were off into the night, into the darkness towards China through up, up, usually up Tolo Channel, which is the favorite loading point because it was so remote and there were lots of little jetties up there that they could use, which was dark too. And there's no lights in Tolo Channel. And Tolo Channel, of course, being a channel is, is invariably calm water, which is ideal for a speedboat. So Tolo Channel and also, of course, it's close proximity to Sha Tin and Taipo, so they could steal from that area and be over in China in a matter of hours. In 1990, 660 luxury cars, most of them Mercedes-Benz, were stolen from Hong Kong. So this, you reckon most of them slipped up the Tolo Channel? Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, there were 660 cars stolen and never found. Uh, there were more than 660 stolen, but there were 660 that were ne <laughs> never located. And the fact that there were 50 daifeis operating at that time, there's a fair chance that uh, most of those ended up in China, yeah. They were probably pre-ordered. So it was quite a problem. Yeah, of course, yeah. You, you had people making reports of something worth a few million dollars every night. It was a, it was a huge problem. I mean, so did car insurance really go up here, or was it really difficult to insure a Merck? Yes, it was. Um, Lexus and Merck's, the insurance went up astronomically, yeah. So it, people were upset, and it was a big problem. It was a big crime problem in Hong Kong. Describe your work. I mean, you were largely living up there with your team, so you would your main work would be dust till dawn? Yeah, we would work from something called the forward operating base. We would set it up the night before. We had to be very, very careful because they, the syndicate was so well organised. There'd be, there'd be literally 50 or 60 people hired by the syndicate as lookouts to try and figure out where we were going to be and our movements. And so the evening would kick off after we initiated our plan. If we had information that there was a particular loading going to happen on a, on a particular pier at a, at a certain time, and sometimes we did get that, we would try and intercept the, the loading in, as it was actually uh, taking place and arrest as many of the syndicate, the land-based syndicates and the, the coxswains and the lookouts all, all in one go. Um, it, that would be an ideal arrest if we could get the whole, the whole team. But I mean, also there are, you know, you've described how the um, daifei itself was fairly armoured, really, the, you know, with this, this plating and the spike on the front. Um, so it's a weapon in itself. But going over to the mainland were VCRs, the, you know, it's a real indication, late 1980s, early 1990s, of how wages are going up in, in particularly southern China, mm. you know, there's more prosperity, so there's more demand for these so-called, well, extra disposable income and luxury goods such as VCRs and also cars. At the same time, what was coming into Hong Kong? Coming the other way, they, they, 
it makes economic sense, if you like, not to send an empty boat one way and then do something with it and, and, and make money going the other way. They looked at ways of um, making money by bringing things in. And, of course, across the border um, from Thailand through China was the drug route. Um, so there would be, sometimes it would be drug smuggling coming in, um, which would be handed over at the pier. And what kind of drugs at that time? That would be a heroin, uh, number four heroin, which is pure-grade pure heroin, which would be cut down and split in, in factories in Hong Kong and then distributed out into the street. And the other thing that was going on in Hong Kong in the 80s was armed robberies. There were several very, very high-profile armed robberies using AK-47s in Central and in Chim Sa Choi with, with shootouts in the street. And those guns were coming in on, on, on die phase. So it wasn't just someone losing his Mercedes-Benz um, or 660 people losing their Mercedes-Benz. It was also the extremely uh, dangerous and Im important crime of, of importing guns, arms and ammunition that were going to be used in crimes in Hong Kong. To show the danger, I mean, you lost a radio operator. Yes, uh, they were reckless and they would do anything to avoid arrest. Um, and there was a collision during a chase in which uh, a daifei rammed one of my boats and one of my officers died as a result. Now, in the late 80s, 90s, of course, you know, you've got the advent of the, well, slightly before, of the mobile phone, but when you were communicating from vehicle to vehicle um, and also trying to see these syndicates in the dark when they were loading up, what was the technology like in those days and what did you use? Uh, well, there was very little technology in terms of um, what you would imagine for, for today. Uh, to be able to see we would use uh, night vision goggles, which I think people are quite familiar with. They, they just pull down onto your face and you look through them and they rely on ambient light and, and make everything grow, glow green. Total darkness, you can actually see. And it looks like looking at a, a, a negative film in black and white or rather green and white. You can see what's going on. So that was, that was the only uh, vision aid we had. Uh, in terms of, of, of communications, it would be handheld radios, which would rely on line of sight, um, which you couldn't hear uh, over the sound of outboard engines. So once you were in a, involved in a chase, there was no communication at all. Describe a chase to me. What went on? So, I mean, you've, got, you've had a situation where possibly you're trying to arrest at the pier, um, but if one or two die phase then head off... Yeah, well... First of all, it's, it's all in total darkness, you have to remember. Um, so you, we, we arrive, and if we're lucky, we arrive just in time as they're loading their goods into the daifei at the pier. And what we try and do is make the arrest at the pier so it's safe for us. So we would go in at speed at about 60 knots and try and get there and intercept them before they had time to move. But if they're lookouts, which are scattered all over the place in little sampans, if they, if they saw us and they put up an al alarm, the daifei would simply just cast off and drive whatever was in it. It might be empty, it might be half full. Quite often we'd arrive and the car would be still dangling on the winch. The land team, the, the syndicate land team would, would, would make a run for it in various vehicles and we would chase the daifei. So we would go up Tolo Channel in total darkness and there would be this speedboat chase. Um, and what are you driving at that point? Uh, we're driving what's called rigid inflatable boats, ribs, aluminium hull, very, very light, very manoeuvrable, powered by uh, two 250-horsepower engines, giving the top speed of about 60 knots. 
Daife, if it was working with all these five engines, would do about 90. So we were at disadvantage there by the speed. So we had to use our tactics. If we were going in for one Daife, we might go in with five pursuit craft. And we would try and manoeuvre it into confusion. In darkness, it's very, very difficult. You have to have an enormous amount of local knowledge in order to be safe. And what we would do is try and create a situation whereby they were confused which way they were going. We would shoot up flares so that their vision would be impaired and they would go in the wrong direction. Sometimes they would um, collide with stuff like a rock or a, a marker buoy or something like that. And if they damaged one, at least one of their engines, then we had a chance because with one engine down, their speed would be reduced considerably and it would be quite easy for us to arrest them, uh, to go alongside anyway. Um, sometimes they would put up a fight, but the, usually in that situation we, we, would, we would be okay.